0: Please join us on Wednesday, March 8th to celebrate International Women's Day at the third annual Empowerography Live Women's Online Conference. The event will be running from 9.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will have 31 of the most incredibly inspirational, transformative, and influential women around who will be speaking at the conference. You can pick up tickets on my website at www.empowerographypodcast.com. They're on sale now for only $20 Canadian. That's 15 bucks for our U.S. friends. We hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Leslie Keeler-Saglio. She is the founder of Feminine Power and Purpose Immersion, a certified trauma-informed master coach and a TEDx speaker. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today. I am so excited to have you here. We have been trying to get this booked and we ran into a couple of snags, but here we finally are. So welcome. It is an absolute honor to have you here.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you and dive in.
0: Yes, let's get this ball rolling. So as I mentioned, you are all of those things. I want to start off by speaking about your journey into the world of being a TEDx speaker. We'll save the best for last, the rest of who you are and what you do for last. So I know that this is a dream for a lot of people out there. So was this something that was a bucket list item for you?
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely one on my bucket list, and it's something that, yeah, I'd been dreaming about for quite some time, but kind of shelved it, Mm -hmm. and it popped up on my radar. I got invited without having to. Oh, I, yes. I did not even apply. What? I got invited.
0: <laughs> oh, is why that why a I, rarity? Does that happen very <laughs> often for people?
1: According to one of my coaches who, who also landed at TEDx? Yes, it is. Most people okay. apply. They already have their talk curated. Right. They, they They start to pitch. But yeah, I was actually recovering from COVID, <laughs> oh, and I had man. an in-person event that I was supposed to facilitate here in Barcelona at Soho House, and I had to reschedule. And the curator of the TEDx reached out to me on LinkedIn, said she was meant to come to my event, and really wanted to connect because she was interested in inviting me to be a speaker.
0: Wow, I that know. what an incredible honor that must have been! Like you must have been riding high.
1: I was totally right. (laughs) I (laughs) was recovering from COVID and not to mention, I mean, we'll just slip this in here, but we'll, yeah, I was also recovering from a near death experience that, you know, the year prior. So I just did not anticipate that to come forward. But I really do believe if you're in alignment with your life and your business and you're putting yourself out there and you're very clear on your message and who you're there to serve and your why, it happens.
0: So it too could happen for me? I could get invited?
1: Yes, (laughs) yes you can.
0: I check all all those boxes you just named.
1: (laughs) Yes, let's put it out there. Let's broadcast it to the universe.
0: Yes, I love it. (laughs) So how did that feel for you to be on that red dot? Was it like a fuck yeah? finally arrived once you accomplished I mean it's a huge deal to do a TED talk
1: yeah it was amazing I think as I was going through it as well and it happened all very quickly I think I got invited in January the talk the event was in March so everything moved very very fast and it was a surreal moment it was a dream come true I mean I'm still looking at photos I mean and my kids saw me you know they they, they watched the live stream online and it was just a proud moment as a mama
0: and <laughs> a mentioned. woman and yeah. the message
1: that I was the topic that I was sharing and just really full circle moment I think for me yeah
0: that is absolutely incredible now yeah. there's a lot I know you didn't go through the, the the typical channels, but I'm sure you have an idea of the process because you had already had in your mind that you wanted to do a TEDx talk at some point. So for those of the women out there who are listening and are interested, could you talk a little bit about what the typical process is and how it works?
1: Yeah, I mean I don't know if it's changed much since I really looked into it in two thousand nineteen, but I would say you know, if you have an idea with sharing, if you have a message, if, if there's something that you really want to share in this world, then I think the next step is to hire a coach <laughs> like mm-hmm. I did and someone that is well versed and experienced in the whole TEDx procedure, how to structure your talk. Right. Because it could be almost Daunting and challenging to make everything like hit all those points that you want to make within the time frame, which is pretty much 18 minutes or less, I believe. Right. Most yeah. and really work with someone that has you know helped people come to the other side of that and be really successful in their talks. And then once you've curated your talk, then you start to pitch. I mean, you know, there's obviously the website where you can blindly you know pitch to organizers, and then also there's people out there that have. You know, they have connections or they're a TEDx coach where they're actively looking for speakers. So it really depends on I think also maybe if you just want to stay local, if you're willing to, to travel a bit, right? Go more yeah. within your country or maybe go global. Because you never really know also the topic that they're going to have. So it would be based on, you know, what is your idea with sharing? Is it aligned with the the events topic. So there's a lot of factors that need to take place and a lot of stars that need to align sort of. Right.
0: Now, did you have you said it happened very quickly for you? Did you have basically the foundation of your talk already worked out and written out? or was Absolutely it just jumping <laughs> Okay. So you had no prep done at all.
1: Absolutely not. I mean, she invited me and then we, I, you know, I had asked her, you know, who are your confirmed speakers? What are they speaking about? Based on, you know, my work, what did you have in mind? Cause she's mm-hmm. the curator. I mean, obviously there's something she had in mind right. um, when she approached me and then we curated a topic together. And then of course needed to get the okay and approval from, the TED organization at large. Right. And at some point I actually leaned in even more into my message and I think my medicine in this world. And I asked, can I angle it towards women? Up until Mm -hmm. like I think a month in, it was it was pretty inclusive. It was just a kind of general. And then, you know, my TEDx coach was like, you know, who do you actually serve? Who are your clients? And so I asked them, you know, is that possible? And they said, look, as long as you keep it inclusive, like we're happy to, you know, that you can still make it women focused. Right. And that's exactly what I did. I mean, I had men in the audience at the event and men that have, you know, watched the TEDx and I think you've watched it as well. And pretty yes, much the, the, the content itself is inclusive. It's just bookend by, you know, a message about women's empowerment and, and how they can, you know, make more conscious, healthy choices in this world right. to make, make, make a difference.
0: Yeah. Now, I'm also very curious about this because I know and have heard from you as well and others that TED talks somewhat frown upon talks that are based around spirituality and woo and those things. I know from multiple multiple conversations with you that you are a spiritual being. This is part of who you are. So, I'm curious how you kind of weave that part of of who you are into your talk, but at the same time got around the fact that there was some spirituality basis to your talk? Because as I said, Ted frowns upon that. They don't really, they're not in alignment with that kind of thing. It's more Mm science-based. Yeah. So how did you get around that? How did you weave it in so that it wasn't so Mm spirituality-focused, but was still in there?
1: Yeah. Well, what did you think when you watched it?
0: (laughs) I loved it. I thought it was incredibly (laughs) powerful. It was amazing.
1: Beautiful. Well, I had my TEDx coach that really helped me frame that. Sometimes it's just word choice and also citing your sources. You know, they're all about, you know, citing your sources if you claim research or statistics. And yeah, I I leave that in there. (laughs) talked (laughs) about personal human energy. I talked about vibration. And yeah, I think it worked. I think I got the point across and hopefully- Oh, it it, definitely did. It It was outstanding. And serve the the masses because that really was the intention.
0: You knocked it out of the park. I thought it was amazing.
1: Oh, thank you, Brad. (laughs) I wanted
0: to get up and give you a standing ovation. (laughs) I'm watching it on video. So, (laughs) but I thought it was absolutely incredible. You did an amazing job with weaving that part of who you are into your talk, but not blatantly being spiritual. It was, I thought it was just incredible.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I had a good coach as well, I think. Because you know, at the at the end of the day, I mean I've been doing these events and I've been speaking on these different topics for quite some time. So it's really just the packaging. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day. So yeah, having a really good coach, TEDx coach that knows how to help you weave that and keep the essence of who you are, but stay within those TED guidelines and make an impact within 18 minutes. Uh, It's an art. (laughs) It's an art.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So that is is most definitely one of your – biggest or strongest recommendations if someone wants to do a TED Talk is to definitely hire a coach to help you.
1: Yes. You know, me as a coach myself, I Mm -hmm. always am in integrity. I always have my own coaches, whether it's a business coach or a life coach. And I just really feel like we're not meant to do, whether it's a TEDx talk or anything in life, alone. I really believe that, you know, it's okay to ask for help. It's not a sign of weakness. And to get that support from someone that's been on the other side or has taken people through that process and journey successfully, I mean, why not? Why spend, like, you know, tons of time and money and heartache when you can shortcut that.
0: (laughs) I'm so glad you said that, because I could not agree with you more. We are not meant to do life alone. We are not meant to do entrepreneurship alone. We've got to get back to, because I think we've lost this somewhere along the way, is we've lost community. And I think it's starting to come back now, which is amazing. But I think we've lost it. And we need to step back into that and realize that this life isn't meant to be done alone. We're entrepreneurship, it takes a lot of work. And why would you put yourself through that why would you silo yourself mm-hmm. when you can have a community and like-minded people around you to support you through that journey because you need it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually one of the three keys in my in my TEDx talk was create community. You know, to achieve conscious leadership is about surrounding yourself with people, places and things that bring positive energy, that that lift you up and, and really create that connection and collaboration over competition and know that, again, you're not meant to do this life alone.
0: Exactly. So this is a great segue. Can you expand a little bit more on what your talk was about the subject matter, the theme? I know you just mentioned this brief point, but if you could go into a bit more detail.
1: Yeah, so it was called the three keys for women to achieve conscious leadership. And it's really just that. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, it was meant to be inclusive. So for those that are watching and you want your men friends to watch, <laughs> <laughs> by all means you can watch it together. But yeah, it was it was just the idea that, you know, we have the power to create a new future based on our consciousness, not our circumstances. And that consciousness being a lot with having to do with how do we manage our energy, how can we actually catalyze change from Whether it's painful, challenging moments in our life, and how to really feel in your body so that you can choose consciously and also create community. So it's all those ideas wrapped into one. But the main essence is being able and knowing that you have control and complete sovereignty over your happiness and your future by increasing, raising your consciousness. And it's not based on your circumstances.
0: I love it. And so for those listening, I will definitely put the link to Leslie's uh, TED Talk in the show notes so you can check that out. And I highly suggest you check it out because it is incredibly powerful and inspiring. So the link will be in the show notes for sure for that.
1: Oh, thanks, Brad. Thanks for sharing. My pleasure.
0: Now let's get into the nuts and bolts of who leslie is we've talked about the ted stuff now let's get into you and your business and the work you've done and the work you're doing i know from previous conversations with you leslie that you worked in hollywood as an executive can you share with us a little bit about your we'll call it past life in terms of how you worked in that world how long you worked in that world and what your responsibilities were
1: yeah that was another lifetime ago (laughs) i like to call it leslie bc it's leslie before children (laughs) All right. So I I grew up. I was born and raised in in Los Angeles. I went to school there, and I graduated right after September 11th, which okay. was a time that no one was really hiring. Um, and I remember it was a job fair at my university, the University of Southern California, and it was like the spring of. 2002. And there was all these, you know, obviously Hollywood studios that were hiring because we're in Mm -hmm. Los Angeles. And for me, I mean, it wasn't like all this Hollywood glamour, because just because I've been born and raised (laughs) in Los Angeles, I kind of grew up around it. For me, it was just like looking for a job. (laughs) Is it interesting? Does it is it aligned with you know, what my interests are and what I studied in? And yeah, I didn't work there very long. I worked there for about three years. And I worked In the international pictures department, in their working, they're doing their third party promotions for the films. So I was working very closely with third party vendors, promoting the film, also working very closely with filmmakers and heads of studio. And it was an interesting. (laughs) long hour environment and it's not as glamorous as probably most people think when they're looking on the other side or they're looking at like, you know, the red carpet.
0: Yeah, (laughs) It'll work. Yeah.
1: But I learned a lot. I really did. And I also learned, you know, what wasn't for me during that right. experience. And it, it didn't take me very long, fortunately, to realize that that was not for me. And it took a calculated risk in becoming an entrepreneur.
0: It's funny, I like that you also shared that, you know, people on the outside looking in would think, wow, what an incredible job, you get to work around all these people. And I think it's funny, because people don't realize, it was the same thing with me, I, my previous life, I got to travel a lot with work. I was yeah. traveling all over the United States and Canada and people thought, wow, you have such a cool job. You get to travel. No, it's really not that cool. Yes. It's fun at first, but the novelty wears off. And then it's like, okay, this is just another job. I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved my job. I love that. I got to travel, but it gets tiresome. And I'm sure it was the same thing for you. People see all of this glitz and glamour and it's in Hollywood, and but they don't realize the amount of work that you've got to put in. As you mentioned, it was incredibly long hours. And so they don't see all that side of it, which I think is very interesting.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I remember because I was working in the international theatrical department and I, you know, my boss and boss's boss and, you know, the heads of the studio, they would travel to, you know, release these films around the world, they would go and come right back. Like they were not touring Paris and going, you know, the Eiffel Tower and going to London and taking like, you know, the Red Duck. They were going and coming right back. You know, they were going, jet lag, coming right back. Because, you know, when you're working for someone or you're working in a company, I think the best thing is to look at your superiors and ask yourself, is that where I want to be? Is that what I want?
0: (laughs) Yeah, for (laughs) sure. And I
1: realized, I'm like, ah, uh, okay. I know I'm working at international and I'm talking with people and working with them from all around the world, but I actually want to see the world. Yeah. <laughs> so much different.
0: Absolutely. So much
1: different. And here I am. Here I am on the other side of the, of the pond.
0: <laughs> Is there any part of that, of you that misses that, that part of your life, the Leslie BC, the Hollywood and any of it? No. No. No.
1: Absolutely not.
0: (laughs) Wow. Okay. So what facilitated that transition then for you out of Hollywood life and into entrepreneurship? How did that, how long ago did that take place and what facilitated it?
1: So I realized very, I think relatively quickly that 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 wasn't for me. I did not come from a family of entrepreneurs, but I just felt in like my inner knowing that there must be hope, there's something else. And I, I happened to have a good friend that was working in real estate and he basically proposed, like, you know, is that something you'd be interested in? And so I tried. <laughs> Again, calculated risk. And, you know, I've, I don't know if we've mentioned that I'm, I'm, you know, I live in Barcelona now. So I was born and raised in Los Angeles. I now live in Europe where I've been living for, oh my gosh, I think I stopped counting. <laughs> How many years? 17 years? I don't oh, know, 17 and a half, something like that. First London and now Barcelona. So I've been really blessed to have this incredibly international, purposeful life with two beautiful children, coaching women to unleash and lead in their feminine power so that they can be happy and free to also live a more purposeful and pleasure-filled life. But it just, it wasn't always like this for me. Yeah. I grew up as a brown Filipino American girl who looked very different from my peers. I struggled with self-worth and confidence, I got teased and bullied as a young girl. And I i yearned for a sense of belonging and ultimately was seeking external validation outside of myself, which is essentially what drove me to work really hard. I spent mm-hmm. the majority of my life looking outside myself for answers many years in my masculine pushing through the pain instead of letting life support me. And even though in LA, yes, I graduated from a prestigious business school, worked for the biggest entertainment studio in the world, successful in my own right, and then became a successful real estate entrepreneur, I still played small. I still lacked confidence, lacked unawareness of my self-worth, but yet I did all the things that I told would fulfill me, but still I felt like something was missing. And when in London, I became a mother, I thought, for sure, that's the missing piece. Like, that's it. Right. I'm complete. I'm done. I've checked all the boxes. We're good. <laughs> but still, <laughs> I continued to be really hard on myself. I had feelings of shame, guilt, because my entire identity up until that point was revolved around my work. Wow. Who do you work for? What do you do? And so it wasn't until my childhood best friend, Bo passed away from cancer at the tender age of 33 years old.
0: Jesus, I'm so sorry. That,
1: that, yeah, thanks. That just changed everything for me. It changed everything for me. I flew from London to Los Angeles by myself. It was a full Virgin Atlantic flight, but yet I felt so alone. And with that Mm -hmm. plane still in the tarmac, getting ready for takeoff, I remember the tears just streaming down my face. And I'm realizing, oh my God, that, that could have been me. I think I'm invincible, but... But I'm not. And as horrible as it was, that was my epiphany. You know, thousands of miles from everything I ever knew, living in Europe, flying to go bury my best friend in Los Angeles. Uh that I realized, that's it. No more going at life alone. No more being a lone wolf. Needed to, you know, take control of my life, get accountability, hired a coach, learn the tools and practices to stay in a place of calm and clarity and remember my feminine power and discover the steps to get clear on my purpose by busting through those limiting beliefs around my self-worth and becoming more confident and living a more conscious life. And so that's really what my message and I feel like my medicine is in this world is taking my pain and my struggles Turning that into my purpose and hopefully helping other women out there so that, you know, hopefully they can have the tools and practices to make more empowered decisions and and learn from my mistakes and that they don't have to take that much time to yeah. get where they want to be.
0: That is beautiful and powerful because, you know, so many people when something like that happens, when we lose someone so close or such someone who's such a big part of our lives, you hear a lot of people say, okay, this is it. I'm going to shift. I'm going to change. This is a catalyst for me. And they talk about it, but they don't do it. Gets put on the back burner and then they just go back to life as it was before. So you actually took the steps to take action and make those Actionable changes in your life to make it happen. So, kudos to you for doing it. I think that's incredible because most people don't.
1: Mm, well, thank you. Thank you for that reflection and acknowledgement, Brad. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot, like you said, we do that if, if a loved one passes away or even just a way of life and being. I noticed this with my clients and community during lockdown and the pandemic is that. You know, there is this grieving and you start to question your mortality, your life, your purpose. And like you say, it's a matter of like what do you do with it? What's the yeah. meaning you give to that? And how are you going to move yourself forward and get to the front side of that, which goes back to right, community, mentorship, yeah. all those things of not going at life alone.
0: That's right. But and when it comes down to it though, Leslie, we are the only ones who can initiate the process, who can change the channel, so to speak, to get that ball rolling. Now, again, going back to what you just said about community and surrounding ourselves with community and not doing it alone, but we have to start out that process alone. We are the only ones that can initiate the change. And we have to also recognize that. No one else is going to do it for you in life. You have to be the one to take those initial steps to get the process started.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think at the end of the day we all know what we want and we kinda know what we need to do. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like getting yourself in motion to stay in motion. <laughs> like <Yeah>. Newton's law. <laughs> like getting yeah. that momentum.
0: That's right. I mean and the
1: accountability.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can surround yourself with cheerleaders to help you, but again, you're the only one that can start the change.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Be the change.
0: There we go. (laughs) As mentioned, you're a trauma-informed master coach. So I'm curious, I have no clue, what is the difference between a trauma-informed coach and a trauma-informed master coach?
1: Well, I'll tell you how I got my certification. I trained with four master coaches in the US and it was a very intensive program and certification. It wasn't just about you know learning the concepts and taking a test. It was actually applying them to our own, own life, facing our own shadows, if you will, and triggers and healing those parts of us. Because at the end of the day, we can't take our clients as far as if we haven't gone there ourselves. So it was a certification, intensive training, but at the same time, a very deep and healing personal development journey as well. I believe any coach, you know, you have to really stay in integrity with who you are as well. Like you have to actually live and embody that which you are teaching and preaching to your community and your clients. And that's really what my training was about, was being an embodied trauma-informed master coach and trained by these four incredible master coaches in the US.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have you think about psychotherapists, psychiatrists, and they get their training in schools and educate and they read all these books. And I'm sure you had to do a lot of reading and research and all that too. But you also have lived experience, which I think and not to say that psychiatrists and psychotherapists don't, but I think that that is one of the most important elements is that as a coach or as a guide or whatever you want to, whatever name you want to use is that you come from that place of experience because that's what's going to help you help your clients provide the tools for your clients to get themselves through it and to guide them through these things mm. is that lived experience. Absolutely. You can't buy that. You can't read about that. It's just like anything in life. Hands-on experience is the absolute best way to do things.
1: Absolutely. Yep, Life is our PhD and yeah. you know the trauma informed it, especially, I mean, I can't speak for other trainings, but I will say, you know, we as coaches that were being trained in this, in this program, we had to face our own traumas. <laughs> like what are we being triggered with? What happened in our childhood? How is that presenting right now as an adult in our relationships and our work? I mean, it was a full holistic program where, yeah, it was powerful Healing, transformative—not just on a professional level, but a but a personal level as well.
0: That's very, very powerful. So, Leslie, what is it then that sets you and the work you do apart from other coaches? Why would someone choose to work with you over someone else? <laughs>
1: That's a great question. So many coaches out there. Aren't there? <laughs> well, I believe, you know, what are we? Are we 7 billion people now on the planet? Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm stopped counting. But <laughs> somewhere around there, you know, I do believe that everyone resonates with different people. I'm not for everyone. Not everyone's for me. Right. Right? And so everyone can different people, different coaches, they have their own way. Um, And again, like you said, their own life experience that's going to resonate with certain people. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I believe, you know, what's really unique about me and my life experience and work experience is that I am American Mm -hmm. and I have lived in Europe for quite some time. I am a mother, wife worked in corporate, I'm now entrepreneur. I'm also a colored woman. Uh And so I have this unique experience and understanding in of the dichotomy of the two different cultures, not just the two different countries, but also, you know, company culture. Right. Uh And I think that's something that really speaks to a wide range of different women. So the women that are my clients or in my group program, they are a combination of corporate women and also entrepreneurs, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm able to understand, speak to and guide a wider range of women, whether they're married, not married, parent, not parent. And I think that resonates with quite a lot of women. And I also have a very holistic approach because of that, where it's a blend of spirituality and practical tools.
0: What, in your opinion, then, is one of or the most important quality or skill set in a trauma-informed coach? Safety. Safety, okay.
1: Not going too fast. You know, they say and it, that the idea is that we experience trauma when something that we've experienced, it feels too fast, too much, too soon. So we don't want to re-traumatize someone. We don't want to force someone into exploring something or doing something that's going to re-traumatize them. And so really the healing is in the safety, going slow, right? And always asking, you know, permission. Is that okay to go there? Do you feel safe to go there? And I believe that's probably key and most important in working in a trauma-informed way.
0: So what would you say is your greatest strength as a coach, as a trauma-informed coach?
1: I'm a great listener.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm a great listener. And I think, you know, when growing up, that might have been looked upon as either she's not interested because I'm not like, you know, extrovert life of the party, but I'm actually paying attention. I'm actually paying attention. i am actually take paying attention listening to everything that's going on around me. And I think that's really important when you're coaching someone is that you actually are listening in between the things that they're saying, looking at their body language, right? There's so much else that's going on in between what actually people are saying with their words.
0: Absolutely. And I, it's funny, because this is a topic that's come up a fair bit for me is the fact of listening. And I was talking with someone else about this a few weeks ago, and active listening is something that I have to do, of course, as a podcast host, but we were talking about people listening, and she said to me, she said, I'll bet you if you walk down the street and ask 100 people, do you think you're a good listener? 95 of those 100 would say yes. And I don't find that to be true. Yeah, absolutely. People think they're good listeners, but...
1: They do. do. You know, I always do in my events, uh, when I'm facilitating events, if there's enough time, I always love people to experience active listening, be able to share their takeaways, their biggest aha with one other person in the group. And so we Uh do this active listening exercise where you know, the person listening, you're just listening. You don't give advice, feedback, opinion, and you don't even nod your head (laughs) to like, you know, give some top of acknowledgement, just hold the space, Uh neutral space. And actually people get the most clarity, right? When they're able to just speak their truth from a place of like, no one's going to interrupt me. No one's Uh going to try to get their opinion in there. And I find that most people, and especially even me, when I first did this exercise, when I was in an event with my coach, the people that are listening, they're like, oh, that was so difficult. You know, like not to butt in, not to interrupt, not to say, yes, I feel the same way or, oh my gosh, you know, and and try to make some type of body language. It's difficult as well, but it's an interesting exercise for both parties because you realize, wow, there's so much that can, actually be heard and clarity received, you know, when we're not trying to, you know, get our opinion in there, give feedback and interrupt. So it's, it's important that exercise. And it's something I think we all can do some learning with.
0: <laughs> I love that. Actually, I think I'm going to steal that and implement that into my podcast coaching, running tests with people and having them one interviewer, one guest and see how well they do. I think that's a great exercise and a test for people. I love Mm, it. Yeah. (laughs) What lights you up or inspires you the most about the work that you do, Leslie?
1: The women who say yes to themselves. Because at the end of the day, when they say yes to themselves, when they make that investment in themselves and their time and energy and, and monetary investment, I know just being on the other side and investing like hundreds of thousands and years in my own personal development that there's so much healing and transformation on the other side of that, that you don't just get within that period that you work with the coach or in that program. We're talking decades, lifetime of transformation and paradigm shifting and healing, you know, generational, breaking generational patterns and healing childhood wounds that you will see the ripple effects for years, decades to come. And in ways that you may not even know, because when you are in contact in your work, in relationships, your loved ones. There is so much power in that. And so when women say yes to themselves, I'm just so inspired by that because I know just that one woman, that one person will create a ripple effect for other people to know that they are innately worthy as well and for them to say yes to themselves.
0: It's an incredibly powerful, tiny little three-letter word, but mm. it holds so much power.
1: mm Yes. So much power in the yes.
0: Yeah. And there's also on the flip side of that, there's also a lot of power in that two-letter word, no,
1: Mm, as well.
0: So those are two incredibly powerful words in the English language that, you know, they carry a lot of weight for very small words.
1: Absolutely. And that's a big part as well of, of the work that I do with the women is the yes and the no, you know, waving that no flag loud and proud Not feeling guilty, not being a people pleaser, how to set those healthy boundaries. Yeah, it's like working out, you know, building that muscle. It feels stretchy, it feels crunchy, it doesn't, (laughs) it feels foreign. Yeah. But what we say no to is just as powerful as what we say yes to.
0: Absolutely. But also, I find too with the word no is when people say no, I think it's also something that we have to put into practice for ourselves that we don't have to follow that no up with an explanation why, Mm -hmm. which people, a lot of people, most people, I would say, tend to do. No, because I can't or no, because of this. It can just be simply no.
1: Yes. Yes to the no. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Yeah, I love that.
0: Now, on the flip side of what we were just talking about with the inspiration you get from your work, what would you say is one of the most challenging parts of the work that you do?
1: One of the most challenging? I don't know if there's... (laughs) (laughs) What's challenging? I guess the flip side of that is finding those coachable moments so that people can innately feel into their worth of investing in themselves. That's probably. Okay. Maybe just the flip side, flip side yeah. of that. Cause okay. other than that, I think the coaching, I, I love guiding people. I love, I just love that and facilitating yeah. groups. I don't really find that challenging, but I think it's, yeah, just getting people, I mean, it's not challenging per se, but you know, that's part of being a coach is getting people connected to their why and, and having them really feel into that and believe in that they're worthy of investing in themselves and the transformation that it will bring them. So, you know, that's part of my job and happy to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, not everyone's like a yes right away. And I'm not a yes right away as well. Right. So I, like I said, I, I'm in complete integrity. I always have multiple coaches running in my life at one time uh-huh. and it's not always a yes right away. So yeah. I, I get it. I totally get it. It's, it's a big commitment And I don't want someone, like, half-assing and say, yeah, okay, I'm a yes, but, you know, I don't know if I'll come on the calls. I don't know if I'll be like, no, then we're not a great fit, you know? (laughs) If
0: you're not going to put in the work.
1: Yeah, I want someone that is committed to doing the work, committed to investing in themselves, and if they are committed, I'm committed, and that's when you know you're going to see the results.
0: Beautiful. Now, when you're doing your trauma-informed coaching work, obviously, you're listening to some pretty heavy stuff from people. Do you find it hard not to bring your home, your work home with you? And how do you deal with that so that you do your best not to do that?
1: No, actually, I I, I don't. I don't. I, I do a really good job of protecting my energy and I have spiritual practices that I do before I, should have known. <laughs> before I go into a call or an event. And I do um, after, after I'm okay. on a call with a client or after an event. So it's really about, you know, the TEDx talk, you know, how yeah. to manage your personal human energy. It's it's a real thing. So, yes, I can take on something that's not mine if I am completely open, 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 open. And I don't know how to separate my energy from someone else's. So it's, again, having the practices and tools and flexing that muscle around, this is normal, right? Protecting my energy so that I can come as a, you know, from a clean space and be able to hold the space for them and not be coming from, you know, what I just had with my kids or the previous client, always coming from a clean space to be there for their highest good.
0: Be fully present in the moment for them. Yes. Can you speak a little bit now about feminine power and purpose immersion, how this came to be, what it's all about? Tell us all the things.
1: Mm, like feminine power and purpose immersion. Yeah. <laughs> so this, this was born during, was it like lockdown almost or after lockdown? So I've been coaching since 2014, both men and women, but something really shifted in me that I think you know, shifted in a lot of people. We had lots of shifts happening, right? During during that time where people were questioning, you know, what they were placing importance on, their work, their purpose. And for me having, you know, I have a daughter and a son, but I have a a daughter that was coming into age, right? A teenager, um, also being a Filipino American and just all the things that are going on over there. I just felt the call. (laughs) I felt a tap on the shoulder that maybe I should focus on on just women. And I had one of my business coaches at the time who challenged me to that. (laughs) <laughs> okay. she said Leslie why don't you just make this event for women I'm like are you sure about that <laughs> and, and I don't know if you've ever heard this before where they say you know when you try to help everyone you end up helping no one yes so I was like okay let me just put that sign on the door I'll just do this event for women and it was amazing <laughs> it felt so dialed in it came so naturally so many opportunities came from that and it just it was so aligned. And yes, it felt a little bit out of my comfort zone. I was like, oh, no, I don't want to just be helping women. But then it turned into like this bigger message and purpose for me and my work. And I have to say, I mean, it was yeah, it, it was an amazing decision that I probably wouldn't have chosen on my own. But again, having a coach (laughs) challenged me to go a little outside my comfort zone and do something different because she saw, thankfully, the potential in me as a coach and in my work and the difference that I can make. And so that's what I did in 2020. I did my first women's group program because what I had found through my own, again, being in masterminds, being in coaching programs with just women I realized, like, yeah, it's one thing to do this work privately with a coach or mentor, but damn, when you <laughs> do it with other women, oh my God, there is something so healing and transformative about that. And for me to experience that myself, right? To experience collaboration over competition, community, all those things that you know, you read about, but to actually experience it somatically and how healing that was, I realized, oh my gosh, like this is it. Like yeah. bringing women together, feeling the sense of community, feeling collaboration, actually allowing them to experience that and not mm-hmm. just tell them this is what you should be doing. And so that's been my passion is is gathering a group of women annually in my feminine power and purpose immersion. And just what I've said before, it's a blend of spiritual and, and practical work, where I take women through understanding, locating their pleasure and uh, healing their childhood trauma and identifying what's their purpose, what's theirs to do and be in this world. And of course, you know, through all of that, reclaiming their feminine power. Most women, they are doing all the things and they're pushing through the pain and they're very much in their masculine because it doesn't feel safe to be in their feminine. Uh, Most of us don't because... We come from a generation of women where they weren't in their feminine. And so we don't really have a safe reflection or model of what that looks like, what that feels like. And so a lot of it is just remembering, remembering the truth of who we are, what's our power, what's our innate wisdom, and being able to tune into that and live from that place. And knowing that there is a better way of living and being in this world. And you don't have to come from a sense of overwhelm that you can live from a place of overflow.
0: I love that. I'm glad that you mentioned the community over competition because this is something that I used to talk about quite a bit and I haven't brought it up in a while, but I'm going to ask you, since you work with so many women, have you seen a shift? Because for me, coming from corporate, I always saw, and understandably so, and I know why I can get it, I can understand why it was happening, but I always saw women competing and clawing at one another and tearing each other down to get ahead. So have you seen a shift around that attitude? Like I said, I understand why that was because there were so few positions of power, we will use the word power in air quotes. Mm-hmm for women to attain. So they had to fight for those positions. So have you seen a shift in that attitude and that way of being now that you work with so many women? Like, have you seen more of a community environment as opposed to that competition?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, definitely more compared to when I was in the corporate environment. Right. And I won't say how many years ago because I'll date myself. <laughs> 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 but definitely more so now, and we're getting there. It's just having those conversations, right? And mm-hmm. having the awareness and and getting people to experience it. So I've done, you know, events for top corporates in the world. And, you know, they are used to being talked at, right? In their workshops, events. And I, I do that a little bit, discussion, where are we going? Where am I going to take you? But I really get them into the experiential, right? So I do take them through some exercises so they can really feel into, feel, feel into their body, get clarity from that space, some self-reflection questions and then again the act of listening, holding space for another woman or human being. And what does that feel like? And what does it feel like to be heard, to be seen, to be met and to be held? I mean, these are all things that feel very simple and fundamental, but yet we don't get them. There's no places where we actually get that in our work or sometimes even in our personal life. Yeah, true. Very true. (laughs) So a lot of my work is yes, the experiential and I do believe yes, there there is more this conversation importance around community right because there's been such a big kind of trend around mental health also seeing what's coming out from lockdown and the pandemic where people were you know alone or bubbling or siloing by themselves or just with their little groups and so now people are out and realizing like it is important to connect it is important to <laughs> to be with other people and i think that's also a shift that's happening as people are getting out more and they're trying to be away from their screens and the world is open is that they've had that contrast and now they want different they, they want better
0: yeah absolutely i i couldn't agree more i mean i think that that. Competition is still there, and I've talked to women about this, and some of them say that it's still very prevalent,
1: yeah, yeah, no, it's still there for sure it's still there, but yeah it's it's having the the conversations and it's having the leadership, you know it obviously trickles from top down, so it's who do you have that's in those positions of we'll say it in air quotes power right
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and how are
1: they leading? right? Is there a conscious leadership? Are they the ones that are forming and placing importance around collaboration and community? Because if they're not, then, well, then the company company culture doesn't value that. And so the people won't value that. So that's why there's, you know, I feel it's really important, which is why my talk is around women achieving conscious leadership is that, and we're not just talking about, you know, are you some senior executive? Yes. Okay. But also women, you can be a leader in anything you do. You're the CEO of your business. You're the mother of like two children. Like you are always leading in your life. Yeah. Whether you, you think you are, you're not, you are impacting and influencing others and this world in every decision that you make. And so I believe leadership, it comes from from all parts. And so, you know, it, again, it's, it starts from ourselves as an individual. And if we can have that awareness for ourselves, then we can start to bring that into our work environment in our families, and in our communities, which is what I also talked about in my TEDx talk.
0: Right. But with corporate specifically, because you come from corporate, I come from corporate, and we know that corporate and the the people, a lot of the people still, most of the people in leadership are part of the patriarchy because they're, they're mm. up there in age, they're of that age. I don't see that changing with people like that. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I don't think in, in a lot of... Cases that that will change until the changing of the old guard, mm-hmm. and we start to bring in new leadership and new blood, so to speak, that are more conscious and aware of that and willing to change. Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. Like, don't get so me started on the do, patriarchy. So we <laughs> we could be that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> yes. So
0: how do we how do we do this then? How does this change happen then? If we're stuck in this mindset.
1: Well, yeah, it, it starts again with conversations, awareness, and yeah, challenging mm. the patriarchy because a lot of people don't even realize that that's what's happening. They don't even know. It's like, it's an unconscious bias, is what it is. Right. And there's so much of it that is so. Unconscious that even as women, we don't even realize that, like, we're a part of it, we're acting according to it. So, that's a, again a lot of my work is informing women of what that is and also what's the opposite of that. <laughs> what does it look and feel like to be more in the feminine? And I'm not like, you know, such a feminist. Like, I, the earth, Mother Earth, and all of us, we have both masculine and feminine. Qualities and energy, we need both. We need yeah. both. We can't just be yep. completely feminine in our flow and all the things like <laughs> we need. We need go energy. We need to have some structure. We need to have some form. So we need both, but it's just been so imbalanced for thousands of years that. <laughs> Yeah, that's where the work is and that's why I'm, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about this work is like, okay, yes, you know, I I do both personal development and I go in into corporate environments, but oh, I love just the personal development because one person can really make a difference. Like I work with, you know, clients that are heads of their companies for, you know, big corporates and it does make a difference.
0: It yeah. does. Maybe
1: not like, you know, warp speed, but it is, you know, I encourage them. They're like, how do I do it? I'm like, just start your meeting with a centering process. Start your meeting with a two word check-in, like get people like out of their head into their body, right? It's just those few seconds or one minute practices for people to experience something different and what is actually
0: You bring up a very interesting point, because I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine about this yesterday. And we were talking about how, yes, the patriarchy has been what it is for, as you mentioned, like so many, so many years it's been going on. But she was saying that she was having a conversation recently with some men and women, friends of hers. And they were all saying that they're sensing and they're seeing that the pendulum is swinging very far the other way now to where it's at a point where some women are like, we don't need men. We don't need that. And it's, mm-hmm. it's gone the too far the other way now. And I think that, as you mentioned, I think we just need to meet in the middle, come together, unite as how about we just say human beings instead <laughs> of this. Separation and divisiveness of male versus female, masculine versus feminine. Enough of the divisiveness bullshit. We don't need it. Let's just all come together and unite because we are so much more powerful, so much stronger united than we are divided. And that's what needs to happen. We don't need to swing the pendulum so far the other way that now it's the matriarchy that are running and controlling things. And again, <clears throat> excuse me that's not to say that we don't recognize what's been happening for all of those years where the patriarchy has been pushed upon women and all of the bullshit that women have had to deal with we don't we don't ignore it i think we need to acknowledge it and learn from it but don't swing so far the other way that we're going the exact opposite direction <laughs> that far, you know what i mean like it, yeah, it's yeah no
1: i totally get it and i i do see some of that and i think it's just Yeah, there's just like, it's like when you shake those snow globes. Yeah, yeah. It's like, there's just got to be like some like shaking and it feels a little bit chaotic and then it settles. And I think that's where we are right now is there's this awareness and shaking and the whole foundation of what we thought to be the truth, like with a capital T, it's like, no.
0: (laughs) Oh, that again, this could be a whole other episode.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I really appreciate you bringing that up. And, you know, of course, I just love the work that you do, Brad, and that you're having, you know, you, you. Have these conversations. And again, it's about, like I said, having the conversation, increasing people's awareness. How does it land for you? And then go explore, go do some research, read a book, listen to a podcast and have your own experience in your own journey.
0: Well, I thank you for that reflection. And I wholeheartedly believe with every fiber of my being that conversation is the catalyst for change. This is how we start to change things. And it starts at a grassroots level with our individual communities. That's where we start. And then it just ripples out and affects others. And as you said, read a book, share the knowledge, have these conversations, have the difficult conversations, Mm -hmm. which I want to emphasize that difficult conversation piece of it, because so many people shy away from doing that. And Mm -hmm. we're not going to solve anything by not having those conversations, we have to have them as difficult as some of them are, it needs to be done. And not to the point where we are pushing our own agendas and our own opinions on everyone. But again, I think this also ties into something that we talked about earlier, and that is active listening. Go into these conversations with an open mind, an open heart, and just fucking listen. We have two ears and one mouth for a fucking reason. So use them and let's fucking listen to each other.
1: I love it. We're going vulgar. We're going off piece. Yes. yes we have the after to. hours, portion. Yeah. Well, we have <laughs> yeah. to.
0: I think it's so important because.
1: No, it totally is. That's why I love what you're doing. And it has to be this. That's it. Conversations, awareness, community. Yeah. Those are all the things. Like, you know, a lot of people are walking around or lying down sleeping. Yeah. You wake up, wakey,
0: exactly. wakey. <laughs> yes, exactly. 100%. Again, we could go off on a whole other episode. And I love talking. This stuff lights me up. Like, I love talking about this specific topic and these topics. I love talking about this stuff because I think it's so important because we don't talk about stuff and we don't listen. People listen just to speak, just so they can interject and get their point across. But if we change that, if we shift that narrative, how much different would things be? Like, it'd be huge,
1: massive. But that's it what would. we're doing here. Yes, We're doing exactly. it one conversation at a time. There
0: you go. Exactly. <laughs> Leslie, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful?
1: I'm intuitive, highly intuitive, which I think has been a blessing and a curse sometimes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you?
1: Mm, that you wake up feeling purposeful in your life, that you're going to make a difference, not just for yourself, but for the world. And of course, not just making a big impact, but a substantial income so that you can have the lifestyle and self-care to make that big difference.
0: What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? And what was your life like after learning it?
1: Most important thing that I've learned (laughs) that we're all going to die in a minute. (laughs) 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 that we're all going to die in a minute. You know, my best friend passed away and my father passed away a few years after that. I almost died a few years ago. So I'm just realizing, like, don't wait. Do not wait for someone to give you permission. Do not wait to think, uh, you know, maybe a few months. Let me think about it. Do it. Go out and do it.
0: Love it. Very, very sound advice. We're all here on borrowed time. So, and we only get one shot at this life. So, fucking live it to the fullest. Enjoy it. Do what makes your heart sing. Do what makes your soul sing. Yes. That's what life's about. Mm-hmm. We're not meant to be here miserable, which also speaks to another thing we could get into and in all of the anger and angst and hate in the world. Fuck, let's just love, man. That's mm-hmm. all we fucking need. Mm -hmm. And it may sound hippy dippy and all of the things like, but you know what, John Lennon and and Paul McCartney, they were onto something. All you need is love. It's true. That's all we fucking need in this world. Yep. That's it.
1: Sounds good to me. (laughs) (laughs) Leslie,
0: with you being a big advocate for women's empowerment, I'm very curious to know how you empower your children and specifically how do you empower your son versus how you empower your daughter
1: well a big thing that i try to do my best that i didn't have growing up is for them to feel their emotions to know mm. that it's okay not to be okay and if they ever want to talk to me about anything having a trying to have a non-judgmental space for them to feel safe to be themselves and i think that's so important as children That a lot of us, and I say that not just for myself, but with my clients and hundreds of people that I worked with, that we didn't grow up with role models. Most of us are mother and father that reflected that that it was okay to to feel and be emotionally engaging your emotions. And so, because of that, a lot of us have these suppressed feelings and emotions. And at the end of the day, we're just like these little kids running around in adult suits. So, mm-hmm. how can I create a space where my children feel safe to feel, to emote, to be who they are? Yeah, have that okay. space with me.
0: I think it's even more important for that and encouraging that in boys mm-hmm. because conditioning societal conditioning parental conditioning as you said boys grow up being told for the most part and i won't say all because that's generalizing and painting with a a very broad stroke but for the most part i think most boys are told you can't show emotion stop crying you little girl stop acting like a little girl you're crying suck it up and deal with it so i think it's that much more important to instill that into our young boys
1: Absolutely. Which is why I see the contrast having a daughter and then a son. Yeah, I see it now that they're older. I can can see it more clearly, but I still try to hold the space as equal as possible. But I know that their response to me will be very different. And so I I accept that and lovingly accept that. and, And that's okay. That's okay.
0: Beautiful. Now, speaking of empowerment, what does that word mean to you?
1: Hmm. Empowerment to me means sourcing your wisdom and truth and power from within, not looking for it outside of yourself to anyone or anything. Oh, I love that.
0: That's a great definition.
1: I just came up with that. That's I love story. it. That's beautiful. <laughs>
0: Awesome. <laughs> okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section a here. Rapid the next fire, let's group. go, let's go. Yeah. It's like
1: Jeopardy or what is that? What was the, that?
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> family Feud. Family Feud. There we feud. go, there
1: we <laughs> go. Family <laughs> Feud. Like it.
0: You got 30 seconds on the clock.
1: Oh my God, let's go, let's go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> If you were writing your autobiography, what would the title be?
1: I'm just going to say this because it's coming forward, but I'm like, really? Am I going to write that? No. <laughs> Remember who you are. I don't know. It just came forward to me.
0: How would you describe yourself in one word? Grace. What is your favorite self-care practice?
1: Kundalini yoga.
0: What never fails to make you laugh?
1: I never like to use never ever, but hold on. (laughs) (laughs) What never fails to make you laugh? Well, my kids. Yeah, I'd say my kids.
0: What is your biggest fear?
1: That my kids transition off this earth before me.
0: If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be?
1: Remember who you are.
0: And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly <laughs> scheduled program.
1: <laughs> do, 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 do.
0: <laughs> I don't know if that's it. Was that That's, it? Jeopardy. that's Jeopardy. Yeah. That's oh, Jeopardy. Never mind.
1: <laughs>
0: what challenge in your life has shaped you the most, Leslie?
1: Oh, my best friend passing away for sure. Mm.
0: What is the best compliment you can give yourself?
1: I can give myself yep. the best compliment I can give myself. You're an amazing human being.
0: What's something surprising you've learned about yourself in the last year?
1: I'm stronger and have more courage than I thought.
0: Love that. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why?
1: Any woman, huh? Mm -hmm. This might surprise you. I'm just... (laughs) (laughs) It's no one famous.
0: Okay. That's all right.
1: It's going to be my paternal grandmother who passed away when I was really young and I didn't get to know her. Beautiful.
0: Mm -hmm. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be?
1: Well, here we go again. Three times the charm. Remember who you are.
0: (laughs) And lastly, Leslie, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people – your ladies, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart?
1: Gosh, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Can we pass? No, I'm just going, Let's not go pass on the like 30 seconds. That's harder than 18 minutes for TEDx. Uh, 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me speak from the heart. Let me close sure. my eyes. 30 seconds, my speech to the world. You are love. You are so loved. You are exactly where you need to be. Continue to honor who you are right in this moment, all that you have been and all that you are becoming. Remember who you are and you are powerful beyond measure. Beautiful.
0: Thank you very much for sharing that. Leslie, this was an incredibly beautiful, inspirational amazing conversation. You are a wonderful, beautiful soul. And I appreciate everything that you do and everything you're putting out into the world. It's always a pleasure to be able to have the opportunity to sit down and chat with you. And I appreciate you. So thank you for being part of and helping create such an amazing conversation today. Thank, I am grateful for you. I'm grateful for having you as a member of the Empowerography community. And I'm grateful to be able to call you a friend. Thank you for being the amazingly beautiful soul that you are.
1: Oh, thank you. Received, which is a quality of the feminine. And I just want to acknowledge you, Brad, just love the work that you're doing and you're putting out in the world, these conversations, the awareness, and it's been an absolute honor and pleasure to be a part of what you're doing in this world. And thank you.
0: Thank you. I received that. And it's been an absolute honor and pleasure to have the opportunity to sit down and speak with you. So thank you for being here today. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Leslie Keeler-Saglio. She is the founder of Feminine Power and Purpose Immersion, a certified trauma-informed master coach and a TEDx speaker. Thank you, Leslie. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day.
1: Thank you. Bye, everyone.